This is episode number three of the Immunology 101 series. I am Jatin and joining me is Autumn. Hi, do you want to hear a Halloween joke? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Why not? Okay, what do red blood cells dress up as for Halloween? Macrophages? Wait, what? How does that make sense? <laughs> Wait, isn't that because macrophages are the grim reapers of the of RBCs and they, they eliminate all the red blood cells in the spleen? Okay. That was uh, too real. I'm, I won't continue with mine. That was a better answer. So okay. So where's <laughs> the joke? Good job. Where's no, no, the joke? no, 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 no. Well, moving on, moving on. So you're not. You're just gonna skip the joke now? Yeah, we're gonna skip okay, it. Okay. So that's the real answer was macrophages. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's the real answer. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, in the last episode, we discussed about anti-vaxxer movement, types of immunity and the contribution of many immunologists in the discovery of different components of the immune system. Today, we are going to talk about the birth of the immune system. How does that happen? How does the immune system take genesis? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so right before we start, are there any terms that we must define for the audience? Yes, so first of all, um, I'm gonna have you define one. So the first one would be monoclonal antibody. Okay, so monoclonal antibody, as the name suggests, it's an antibody that comes from a single clone of B cell. What does that mean? It means that all of these antibodies are going to recognize the same part of the antigen, the same epitope. Did we discuss epitopes in the last episode? I can't remember. Okay, so let's let, let me just define an epitope. <laughs> epitope is that small region of the antigen which the antibody recognizes. The antibody does not recognize the whole antigen. It's always going to be a small part. And a monoclonal antibody is going to be an antibody that comes from a single clone of B cell and all these antibodies will recognize the same epitope always. Okay. We, go, we will talk in future how these monoclonal antibodies are made in vitro. But for now, let's just let's just know the definition. We just know what a monoclonal antibody is. The next word is hematopoiesis. So hemato means blood, and poiesis is giving birth. So okay. it's like the birth of the cells in the blood. So hematopoiesis is the again genesis of blood cells. <laughs> the genesis of blood cells. <laughs> and that's what we are going to talk about today. Hematopoiesis. Yay! Um, next, we'll talk about enrichment, mm -hmm. which means to increase the frequency or concentration of a particular component in a mixture. Okay, so, so is it like purification? Yeah, yeah. So you can think of it like purification where we want to have a single, so if we have like a, a mixture of different types of cells, we want to get one type of cells and then we want to get a lot of that one type of cells mm -hmm. so how are we going to do it we'll find out we'll find out so that's <laughs> enrichment or similar to purification yes what's the next term the next one is apoptosis which means programmed cell death oh by the way there's you know there's a subset of people who, who pronounce that apoptosis they Ap Potosis? Yeah, they... they <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of people told me initially when I was learning this that the second P is silent and what? now I don't even know what is right. But we'll just, we'll just continue <laughs> with apoptosis until until somebody <laughs> tells us. Okay, I 
We know that I'm not great with pronunciations from our Robert uh, <laughs> K-O-C-H debacle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the final term is necrosis, mm-hmm. which is an unnatural death like murder. Okay. Halloween so, theme. <laughs> so necrosis is a murder, it's a cell death due to... Um, unexplained circumstances. Sure. Yeah, so it would be like an injury or a disease. So mm-hmm. um, I feel like people have heard of like liver necrosis. Mm-hmm. So if you have alcoholism and like chronic alcohol exposure, you can have necrosis in your liver. Okay. Like it dies from an unnatural so that's with the with the context of cells, right? Any cell that goes through necrosis is just dying in without in a in an undetermined manner yes. that was, okay and compared to that apoptosis is a programmed cell death right. it's a suicide it's orderly that, and mm-hmm. it, pr- it provides certain signals that it's like i'm dying mm-hmm. there's a thing going on here don't don't go crazy yeah. immune system so this is a decision <clears throat> that the cell takes knowingly exactly okay so that's a good uh, differentiation between apoptosis and necrosis yeah and now since we have defined all the terms we can start our episode all right so it is impossible to discuss about the development of the immune system without mentioning stem cells something i wish i learned earlier in my career (laughs) yeah i learned about stem cells in my fourth year of bachelor's and i took a stem cell biology course and i and i knew what they were but then i realized like they are (laughs) they are the real thing (laughs) yeah i did not have that course so So stem cells are unspecialized precursors of terminally (laughs) differentiated cells wow (laughs) explain please (laughs) okay in in english (laughs) let's let's take an analogy okay when we are kids Mm-hmm. Imagine that us being kids as the stem cells. We are naive, <laughs> immature, and we have the potential to become anything. We can go in any direction as our, we are guided to. Compared to an adult self who has a specialization and it, uh, an adult can only do a certain kind of thing that that person is interested in. Mm-hmm. For example, if I am learning immunology right now and if somebody goes and asks me to make buildings <laughs> I don't think I can do that right unless somebody offers me a million dollar I'll, I'll do that for that okay <laughs> yeah but yeah but that, so you need I need a lot of incentive to go out of my way so that's what a differentiated cell is it has committed to a skill set and is going to do that kind of work always compared to that a stem cell is an immature cell that has not committed to a, any particular function so it can do anything whatever signals it receives guides where it will go okay Is we, that we hope that um our adult selves are not immature anymore but yeah we'll see <laughs> so again yeah the stem cells are immature naive early in the differentiation stage differentiated cells are more specialized they have a particular skill set and they are they're differentiated <laughs> yeah, yeah they're mature they're mature they're mature yeah. that makes sense so what differentiates stem cells that should be the next question like what is what changes what is uh the difference between a stem cell and the a differentiated cell um and we have some factors that uh, that um distinguish them mm-hmm. okay so you can remember a stem cell's abilities as sap 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 <laughs> yeah so first s stands for self renewal okay and 
I'll be honest, until I took the stem cell biology course, I used to think that every cell is capable of mitosis. Okay. <laughs> I used to think that every cell can just divide and make more of its own, but that's not true. Not every cell can divide. And one of the one of the cell types that can easily divide or self-renew mm-hmm. is going to be a stem cell. So a stem cell um stem cell can divide into two cells one of which will be the same as the stem cell mm-hmm. the second cell will be a differentiated cell this thing is called asymmetric division and this is the a in sap okay so while regular cells like let's say a t cell when a t cell divides it will make clones of itself and both the daughter cells of a t cell will have the same properties will be identical but when a stem cell divides it creates one of its own mm-hmm. and one of a differentiated cell so that is the, cool. <laughs> so the two daughter cells are not identical that's why it's called asymmetric division and the third quality of a stem cell is plasticity who plasticity <laughs> is the ability to acquire new skills again imagine kids being more plastic uh, kids kids can do a variety of tasks mm-hmm. while adults they like to stick to their own area of interest so right. based on plasticity we have four kinds of stem cells the first one is the the most plastic stem cell the totipotent stem cell okay zygote which is made by the fusion of an egg and a sperm mm-hmm. only that only that zygote is a totipotent stem cell okay what that means is it can differentiate into anything and anything includes the extra embryonic organs like placenta mm-hmm. next we have a little less plastic stem cell called the pluripotent stem cells a pluripotent stem cell can differentiate into anything except the extra embryonic organs like the placenta Okay. So that's the only thing that differentiates the totipotent and pluripotent, the ability to differentiate into placenta. Pluripotents cannot do that, totipotents can. So, uh, do you know what would be a pluripotent stem cell? Embryonic no. stem cell. <laughs> so, oh, oh, so oh. embryonic stem cell. So so first we have the zygote which is a totipotent, okay. then it'll give rise to the embryo and the placenta. Yep. So that embryo has these embryonic stem cells. Okay. And they can generate anything except the placenta, of course. So, so once the zygote becomes an embryo, mm-hmm. then the cells stop being totipotent? Yes. Okay. So now they have divided and and yeah, it, this is one of the parts where it's not uh it's it's not an asymmetric division. This is a terminal differentiation. Okay. But most of the stem cells in our body, they are capable of doing asymmetric division. Okay. Not in this case though. So embryonic stem cells now they are pluripotent they can make anything and these embryonic stems uh, embryonic stem cells or also called pluripotent stem cells mm-hmm. they can go and seed different parts of our body so some embryonic stem cells are going to go let's say in our central nervous system mm-hmm. and they will become something called the neuronal stem cells now here is a commitment these neuronal stem cells are committed to the lineage of neurons Right. So they can only become all those cell types that you can find in our central nervous system. So that means they are less plastic, right? right. They're not as plastic as the their their precursors which were uh embryonic stem cells or the pluripotents. Right. So these cells, these less plastic cells would be called multipotent stem cells. They are okay. still able to rec- uh, differentiate into multiple types of cells, mm-hmm. but not everything. 
Right. Okay. S- similarly, here comes our are the kind of cells that we want to talk about. <laughs> hematopoietic stem cells hematopoietic stem cells are those cells that are going to be seeded into the bone marrow these are found in bone marrow and they can give rise to any cell that is relevant to the blood lineage so they can make red blood cells uh, leukocytes platelets all of those okay okay so these would be multipotent and the least plastic stem cell uh, category would be unipotent stem cells unipotent stem cells are that's another level of differentiation down the line. These are only able to di- differentiate into one or very few types of cells. Okay. For example, um, let's say we have um, we have the platelets. Mm-hmm. So platelets come from a predecessor that are unipotent stem cells. Okay. And those unipotent stem cells come eventually they come from hematopoietic stem cells, which are multipotent. These multipotent stem cells eventually come from the embryo which right. are pluripotent, pluripotent and they come from the zygote which is totipotent right okay right. so that's a lot of terms but i hope <laughs> I, I hope we 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 got this nomenclature so these three qualities again self-renewal asymmetric division and plasticity these they define a stem cell and do, do you know how our skin regenerates whenever there is a damage no, how? That's actually because of the skin stem cells that are at the base ba- at the base of the epidermis. And those skin cells divide and they push everything up. So all this time I used to think our skin cells are able to divide by themselves, but it's all because of the stem cells. That's really cool. That's really cool, yeah. right? Yay. Now that we have defined all the basic terms and especially stem cells, uh, we can start talking about where it all began. So during the embryonic stage, we have stem cells in the yolk sac that make red blood cells and white blood cells. Around the third month, these cells would migrate to the liver and the spleen to continue hematopoiesis. Um, yeah, we defined that. We defined that. We define right? that. Yeah, yeah, that's the birth of immune cells. The birth of the immune cells. <laughs> and so um, until the seventh month, the, the seventh month of pregnancy, and at this point in time, we'll start seeing hematopoietic stem cells occur in the bone marrow, and these cells will take over the task of hematopoiesis until the person eventually dies. Ooh. Halloween theme. <laughs> um, around the time of birth, there's almost no hematopoiesis taking place in our liver or spleen. So it's directly bone marrow after that. Okay, okay. So previously, uh, just before the birth, it was in the liver and spleen, but no more in an adult, right? Right. Right. Okay. So just going back to or our... Or even a child, like a, oh. a born child. Oh yeah, child. Even, even a child. Yeah. Right? Everything is in bone marrow. Right. Once okay. you're born. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Just based on plasticity, where do these hematopoietic stem cells lie in that spectrum of... (laughs) It would be multipotent. Yes, multipotent. Please, guys, remember that. (laughs) Yes. So, um... So, I have a question. (laughs) Um, In an adult, are all blood cells the product of hematopoietic stem cells? Well, yes, (laughs) but actually, no. Okay. (laughs) And this brings us to our first trivia that we posted on Facebook and some people were actually able to answer that. I I am so so excited. So the trivia is here. Do you know that macrophages derived from yolk sac are present even in adults? There are one of the first immune cells to be made in a fetus 
and some of them stay for a really long time, even after the yolk sac ceases to exist. Whenever we see immune cells in an, in an adult, we can blindly assert that they came from a hematopoietic stem cell from the bone marrow, except when it's a macrophage. Because there are macrophages in our body that exist from the time they were made in the yolk sac. And especially the microglia in our CNS, they are, they're all from the yolk sac origin, unless they died due to some reason. And mm -hmm. if they are going to be reseeded, they would come from the bone marrow. But unless there's anything wrong with them, the starting population of microglia is always from the yolk sac. So we asked this question on Facebook, uh, whether all the cells that exist in an adult are, are from the bone marrow and we were ex I was expecting people to say yes because that's is what's taught <laughs> right. in, in in the classes <laughs> so I w if anybody said true it does not reflect anything remember oh. this is just a trick question it's it's a trick question and it's an exception right so it, you may not have learned it directly in your immunology class but if you answered false then kudos to you <laughs> yay so i have the first three people to correctly answer false <laughs> and from facebook so the first person is ross joseph mm -hmm. and he's from the university of florida in the microbiology and cell science department Ooh. and he studies host microbe interactions in pathogenic and symbiotic fungi oh nice that's cool mm -hmm. The second person is Brooke Green, and she is a graduate student at the University of Toronto in the Department of Molecular Genetics. Okay. That's cool. Then we have Hannah Wallenzine, and uh, she is from, she's working on her PhD in basic biomedical sciences at the University of South Dakota and she does her dissertation research at Sanford Research in okay. Sioux Falls. That's cool. And yeah. the last person is Wojtek Tobis, and uh, he attends the University of Life Sciences in Poznan, Poland, mm -hmm. and he studies veterinary medicine. Oh, that, that's, that's cool. That's cool. And there was, <laughs> there was another friend of mine who commented on my <laughs> post when I shared this. And so I'll just mention him. It's Polash Narayan. And he's actually in hotel management. Whoa. And I, I bet he it was a fluke. <laughs> there, there's a 50% chance if he answered You texted profile. him before and <laughs> yeah, told that's, him that, to like, So I'll, I'll just honor him. Like, yeah, good, good thing. <laughs> good good job. Thank and you. And you can see most of the people who answered, like, or maybe all of the people who answered, they are graduate students that's yeah. cool so it just, it just shows you that this is some advanced piece of knowledge and if you know this like you can be that the smart kid in the class yeah if there's if this ever comes up in a trivia we got yeah, you we got you guys so yeah whenever we post the next trivia question on facebook be there to answer that and we will acknowledge you yes yeah it's a it's cool yeah <laughs> all right so Bone marrow is the site of hematopoiesis where you find hematopoietic stem cells. Okay, so how many are they typically? You mean how many st hematopoietic stem cells are there? Yeah. Okay, so that's a great question because hematopoietic stem cells are very rare. Oh. They are about one in ten every 10,000 blood cells. Oh, I would have thought more since they're giving rise to all these Yeah, so cells. that's the thing. And yeah, that's the thing about stem cells. They are very few. 
Okay. But they don't they don't need to be in a large numbers. Uh, ideally, I think a very few stem cells can reconstitute the whole immune system for an organism. That's yes. that's how how much their capacity to proliferate is. So we will talk about exactly how few you need um, later <laughs> in the podcast. That's in my... Yeah, that's, that's going to be your thing. <laughs> yes. So it's actually really cool how they figured that out. Okay. But, um, so if there's so few of them, how can you study them? Like, how do you... How, if there's so few? Oh, yeah. So they are actually... It, it's 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 a challenge to culture them, mm-hmm. and also it, it it more than culturing them, it's a challenge to identify them. Right. And we actually use monoclonal antibodies to identify different cell types, including stem cells. And maybe in a future episode, we're going to talk about what specifically these monoclonal antibodies bind to. Okay. Yeah, that would be good. So, isn't isolating stem cells from a mixed population similar to getting a pure culture of bacteria from a mixed culture? Yes, the scenario is similar. You have a mixed population of cells, some of which are going to be stem cells, some of which are not going to be hematopoietic stem cells. However, you cannot use the same techniques as you utilize for bacteria. Hmm. For example, if I have to find out how many bacteria of a certain species are there in my mixed culture, I can go for a 16S RNA sequencing, a multiplex sequencing, I can find out all the sequences of the organisms that are growing in this culture and I can figure out how much uh, the relative abundance of each of these species. The problem with this technique in in hematopoietic stem cells is because remember all these cells that are in our body have the same genome. Right. (laughs) So even this hematopoietic stem cell will have the same genome as let's say a macrophage. So you cannot use this uh, the sequencing techniques to identify them. You have to do something different. That makes sense. So how did the researchers back then isolate them? One of the things that is, as I said, monoclonal antibodies, but another thing that sets these cells apart is their ability to proliferate. Mm-hmm. So if they are given the right growth factors, they can proliferate much better than any other cell in that population and that's how you isolate them okay and i will talk more specifically about growth factors yep. um in a few minutes <laughs> and just since you were talking about how you identify them so let's say i have a population of stem cells and uh, st- say i just have a population of cells mm-hmm. and i believe there are stem cells in there so i can use something called a bone marrow reconstitution assay okay in which i'm going to take a mouse i'm going to irradiate its bone marrow what would that do that would kill all the existing cells in the bone marrow right okay now i would take another mouse i would extract the cells from the bone marrow of that mouse and i'm going to donate it to this irradiated mouse and if there are hematopoietic stem cells in this donor mixture mm-hmm. then this this recipient mouse will be able to get back on its feet it will have a functional immune system again and since you have irradiated the mouse, then there won't be this huge immune response against the, the whole. Yes, yes. Yeah. So that that's very important, actually. That's the graft versus host <laughs> disease. Right. We, we're not going to talk about that here, but yeah, there's something you cannot have two different immune systems right. in in this in the same organism. You must purge the existing one before add, adding a new one. Or you could have syngenic mice. Syngenic mice have they are like twins. 
Oh, okay. So they would have similar genetics, so they wouldn't have that kind of reaction to each other's immune cells. Okay, that's cool. So are these hematopoietic stem cells independently capable of dividing themselves and how are they kept in check to prevent something like cancer? Oh yeah, so that's a, that's a very good question. Things like hematopoietic stem cells, which are capable of uh, dividing at a, at a very fast rate, mm -hmm. they need to be kept in check. So they only, they only proliferate when they receive the signal. And these signals come in the form of growth factors that are secreted by the stromal cells. So yes. imagine stromal cells as the, the, the resident cells in the bone marrow. Mm -hmm. And these cells provide the growth factor to the hematopoietic stem cells whenever required. And that's how hematopoietic stem cells grow. So they cannot grow by themselves. They have to get this signal. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so how does the differentiation take place? Um, oh yes, so this is this is actually a great question <laughs> again because have you ever wondered that all of our cells have the same genome yet they behave differently? Right. So a hematopoietic stem cell, which is a multipotent stem cell, would have the same genome as an embryonic stem cell or as a macrophage, which is terminally differentiated. If they have the same genome, how are they so different? So this is something that I learned uh, very late in my undergraduate. <laughs> and the thing is, what, what I feel bad about is I never questioned it. I never, I never questioned this. Why, how are they behaving differently? So the answer to that is epigenetics and also some of genetics. So let's, let me give you an analogy. Okay. Imagine you are in a kitchen. Okay, I can okay. imagine it. <laughs> so you are in a kitchen and you have to cook something. Mm -hmm. Now, the things that you can cook are going to be limited to two factors. The first factor is your accessibility to the food material. Okay, the so like mm -hmm. where it is in the kitchen. Like, yes, let's say. If, let, I'm, if mm -hmm. I'm short, which I'm not that short, <laughs> but I am a little short. And so if it was on the top shelf in my kitchen, I don't have a step stool, so I just can't cook with whatever's yes, on the yes. top let's, shelf. Yes, yes, let's say I kept all the onions on the top shelf. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so now you cannot access the onions. So you'll have to make away with whatever you have. The next factor that allows, that decides what you're going to cook is the recipe okay how many things do you know how to cook well <laughs> i i do okay but you know you've seen my my lentils for example yeah, they that, are those, very bad those were those are horrible let's not talk about those <laughs> we, we won't bring up my lentils but um i can cook up a few things <laughs> yeah so yeah these two things the recipe and the accessibility and now you can imagine the cell as the kitchen and the genetic material as the things that are that the cooking material. Right. So you have the genetic material, you have all the genome in all the cells, but in certain cells, there are areas of the genome which are inaccessible. Okay. For, and for, just like how we said, they're on a top shelf where you cannot reach. Right. So that's going to guide what the cell can make. If that's say the genes that are required for being a stem cell are inaccessible to the cell, mm -hmm. the cell cannot be a stem cell. Okay, right? that makes sense. The next thing it, it needs is transcription factors, which is the recipe. Okay. The transcription factors will guide what the cell can make, and the cell can only make things that are accessible, that are accessible to it. So these are two things, knowing, having the ability to make the proteins out of a gene, 
and having that gene accessible for these transcription factors. And the accessibility part comes under epigenetics. Okay. That's over genetics. Uh, that's the that's like that's not something that our genes control. That are being controlled by separate proteins that guide how much uh, how much of different genes going to be uh, accessible to transcription factors. So this is a very fairly complicated stuff. <laughs> but just imagine that's how, that's how our cells behave differently. They have different accessibility regions guided by different proteins that control that. Okay, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. So yes, that's how cells different, and cell that's how differentiated cells act differently. They completely change their their accessibility to genes, which allows them to code for a different profile of proteins than they were coding before. Okay. And there are growth factors and cytokines. Cytokines are signaling molecules. Mm -hmm. These these molecules help in differentiation. Uh, is that clear? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so our hematopoietic stem cells can differentiate into two major type of progenitors. Progenitors are the... Like the precursors. The precursors, yes. There are two types of progenitors. So one progenitor is called the myeloid cells. Right. The second progenitor is called the lymphoid cells. Yes. And myeloid cells give rise to a host of different cells for example red a blood cells a host of the host <laughs> yes <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay thank you for laughing a little bit <laughs> so for the myeloid cells are going to uh, differentiate into red blood cells platelets monocytes and granulocytes on the other hand the lymphoid cells are going to differentiate into t cells b cells natural killer cells, innate lymphoid cells, and so on. And we're going to talk about each of these cell types in our next episode when we pick on each cell type. But yes. now let's just know that that's how it, it comes down from hematopoietic stem cells. So it, what in, in the crux of this issue is that hematopoietic stem cell does not give rise to a differentiated cell directly. Right. There are these intermediate stages that are required and they have to be taken in order to go reach that terminally differentiated cell. Right, so the hematopoietic stem cells are the multipotent, mm -hmm. then um, the myeloid progenitors, so like the granulocyte progenitor would be the unipotent because then it could um, differentiate terminally into, for example, a macrophage. Yes. And it yes. couldn't, like a granulocyte progenitor, like couldn't differentiate into a red blood like, cell, for example. Exactly. Yes. So okay. that's why it would be unipotent. That's right. That's right. So yeah, that, that that's exactly. Okay. <laughs> that's great. Good. Finally, coming back to our original question, how do you study hematopoietic stem cells? Okay, so this is where I'll take over to talk about the in vitro culture of hematopoietic stem cells. Just um, hold on there, what is in vitro? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there's in vitro and there's in vivo. So in vivo, so is like in Live life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> life. So um, that would be like studying in an actual mouse or an actual animal model, so human model. Within a, a living organism. A living organism, full organism would be in vivo, mm -hmm. whereas in vitro is we just take the cells out of that um, animal and study in like... In the lab? In, in the, the lab. lab. Okay, in the lab. Okay. So we have like, you know, it's in a, a, it's in a plate of cells and we study it there, for All example. Right. Yep. That's clear. <laughs> okay. Uh, so 
Uh, as we know, I study cell culture, so I'll talk about the cell culturing method. Mm -hmm. um, so bone marrow stromal cells, which we talked about, mm -hmm. um, those are cultured and we adhere them to a Petri dish because we need that kind of background layer. It's like the backbone mm -hmm. um, that then the hematopoietic... He <laughs> <laughs> hematopoietic cells are placed on top of this layer mm -hmm. <laughs> and the, these cells are able to grow and divide like on top of the stromal cells and they will form larger visible colonies on top of these so that's because these stromal cells are secreting growth factors right so that's okay. yeah so that's um i'll talk more about that mm -hmm. you're jumping ahead of me okay so, <laughs> um so Going back to just kind of general talking about it, um, in some situations, these cells can be isolated and differentiated, um, especially in these cultures where there's a mixed cell type like we talked about. Um, if we have like progenitor cells of other lineages, they can be differentiated into their cell types depending on the growth factors mm -hmm. and what we have. Um, and yeah. So they're basically growing on these stromal cell backbones and then we can take these hematopoietic cells that grow on top of it and use those to understand differentiation, survival, proliferation, and maturation of these cells. Okay. So one example um, from like that I've used in the lab is whenever I um, differentiate mouse bone marrow cells into macrophages. Okay. Okay. So the way I do that is I, I have the mouse and I remove the bone marrow from the femur of the mouse and then I lyse the red blood cells because I want macrophages so I don't want all this clutter mm -hmm. of the other cells. And then um, after that I'll add growth media supplemented with the growth factor of macrophage colony stimulating factor. So that's the name of the growth factor? That's the name of the growth factor and it's okay. I specifically want macrophages to be stimulated mm -hmm. um, and grow. So um, I have to add that specific growth factor and then every couple of days I remove media and add more fresh growth media that has even more macrophage colony stimulating factor, MCSF, in that media. So okay. I have to keep supplementing with that um, growth factor. So in vitro, that's yeah. what you're doing. In vivo, where does this MCSF come from? So in vivo, the growth factor is being secreted by the cells, uh, the, the stromal, stromal cells? cells. Oh yeah, yes. all right. Yeah, so they're, they're already there. So um, one thing is that if you have stromal cells in your in vitro culture, like I said, where you can seed the or, you know, pre-place, if people mm -hmm. don't know what seed is, um, the stromal cells in, for example, a petri dish, then you add the hematopoietic stem cells on top of it, They that will secrete... Um, all, all the growth. I think there'll, there'll be a lot of growth factors. Right. Kinds. So okay. if I want it to be specific, then I can seed it into just a plain dish, mm -hmm. and then I'll add the growth factor that I want. To okay. Get. Yeah, that, that's great. Too. So that would be an enrichment method. Exactly. Yeah. We'll talk about it more later. Keep jumping me. Um, <laughs> so, um, yes. Yeah, so this this highlights an important factor about uh, tissue culture or in vitro culture in general is that um, you have to supply the cells with everything that they need yourself mm -hmm. to get exactly what you want. And I know that seems like really obvious, but you can't just like I don't know if people maybe assume that like 
oh, I have this bone marrow. It's going to do what I want it to do, whatever. Mm-hmm. It, like, it won't. It's going to read your mind. It'll read your mind. So uh, it won't read your mind. And you have to specifically add, you know, all the nutrients it needs plus the specific growth factors that you want mm-hmm. um, always. So there are different hematopoietic cytokines that are secreted to stimulate differentiation into the specific cell types. So the growth factors that we're talking about. And some examples are colony stimulating factors, which we discussed, like the macrophage colony stimulating factor. And the other is erythropoietin, which is produced in the kidneys and stimulates differentiation into erythrocytes and is the primary method of producing red blood cells. Ooh, wait, wait, wait. Erythropoietin, isn't that the doping drug? Is it? Yeah, it's a doping drug. So athletes take erythropoietin so that they can increase the red blood cells and they have a better uh, performance. How do you know that? Uh, <laughs> general knowledge. <laughs> okay, all right. But, but yeah, it's not it's not allowed for professional sports, so you, they have to flush it out of their body before they actually start in a in a professional game. But they use it for training. I did not know that. that okay. That's cool. <laughs> I, yeah, that's really cool. Um, so in order for the cytokine signal to be received by the cell, it has to have the receptor for that cytokine. So like when we were talking about the myeloid progenitors, so that means that the myeloid progenitor and then the granulocyte progenitor will have those receptors for the specific macrophage colony stimulating factor. So okay. if it was like, um, you know, a like... Uh, platelet? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if it was like a platelet and I put macrophage colony stimulating factor, who cares? The platelet doesn't care because it doesn't have the receptor. Yeah, and very likely it, it could also not have the the area of his genome accessible where it could create macrophage proteins. Exactly. It's the macrophage proteins are on the top shelf for those platelets. <laughs> for the platelets. Yeah, and it does not have a, a step stool. Um, so that means uh, the cells are committed. They, if they're committed to the right thing and they have the right receptors and we add the right growth factor, we can get the type of cell that we want in in vitro culturing. Um, and we can talk about this a little bit more with cytokines and stuff when we specifically talk about cytokines later. Okay. The next topic I want to cover is programmed cell death or apoptosis. Okay. Or apoptosis. Apo- apoptosis. <laughs> apoptosis. We, we are trying to... <laughs> We're including everyone, everyone in this conversation. We are a very inclusive podcast. Yes, it's for everyone. Apoptosis, apoptosis, it's yeah. welcome here. The right pronunciation and the wrong pronunciation. <laughs> and I won't say which one's right. <laughs> I'll say I don't know which one's right because pronunciation is not for me. <laughs> um, so... Apoptosis refers to the morphological changes that a cell will undergo when it starts to have programmed cell death. And these changes are a decrease in the volume of the cell, changes in the cytoskeleton causing what they call membrane blebbing, which Mm -hmm. I think is a funny word. (laughs) It's a very funny word. (laughs) (laughs) Where parts of the membrane are like coming off into Mm -hmm. like little blebs um and condensation of the chromatin and dna degradation all right so these are signs of apoptosis in the cell itself um how you could tell 
Um, so these they release apoptotic bodies that can contain whole organelles, and these are phagocytosed by macrophages, which will prevent the contents of these bodies or the contents of the cell from causing an inflammatory response in Ooh. that area. Hey, that brings back to my joke. Yeah. That, those are the macrophages, the grim reapers. <laughs> they're, they're the grim reapers, so look out red blood cells and any apoptotic other cells. cells. Yeah, any, any cell. And... And what happens in the other form of cell death? This is apoptosis, which is programmed. And we did describe it earlier, but yes. can you give me a more details, some more details? Please? Okay, so the other form is called necrosis. Um, and this is very different. Um, well, it's, it's also death, but it's mm -hmm. very different. So necrosis is from, like I said, like an injury or disease or something. And uh, necrotic cells or tissues don't send signals for phagocytosis by macrophages. So they don't have these apoptotic bodies that are coming off and the macrophages are taking them up and stopping the inflammation. Um, they have, they're just dying or releasing their stuff. They mm -hmm. usually cause inflammation um, and it can be very dangerous for that part of the body with a like huge storm of inflammation in the okay. area. Okay, oh yeah. Yeah. So th that's very important because you don't if uh, during apoptosis, which is a regulated process, you you do not have to worry about it. But when there's necrosis, that means it could be indicative of a viral infection or a bacterial infection. Exactly. So that means our immune system must attend to it. So that inflammation is very much necessary. Yes. Although it can cause uh, many unnecessary and undesired effects, right. like it could cause it could cause bilateral damage exactly but you still have to do it like you have to get the immune system to look at what's happening there right because clearly with apoptosis um it's like necrosis i'll, I'll just say with necrosis it's kind of chaos it's dying releasing mm -hmm. stuff something crazy is happening mm -hmm. apoptosis is just like the cells are you know saying in peace They're it's in peace. it's my time i have to go now yeah goodbye everyone and good night <laughs> so <laughs> yeah i i always think apoptosis is a kind of uh what's that word where you are completely selfless oh what's that I word don't know. how am i forgetting how am i forgetting that word i don't know completely selfless yes where you do not want but where you, where you don't when you don't think about yourself, I don't, I don't know what's the word. <laughs> um, uh, I feel like I know the word. I can't think of it now either. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll continue and as, as I remember that we'll, word. <laughs> we'll post it on Facebook. <laughs> um, so back to apoptosis. There is like a cycle of apoptosis and a generation of new cells that keep cell numbers in check. So that would be what we would call homeostasis. So mm -hmm. we need that apoptosis to maintain homeostasis of old cells in the body that have been produced or maybe overproduced in, mm -hmm. in the case of an infection and the generation of new cells. So that way we don't get some of these maybe diseases or disorders that come from huge amounts of cells that are not cleared properly. That's right. And apoptosis and um, hematopoiesis, they are like two edges of the same sword. Yes. So it's hematopoiesis like a... causes production of cells while apoptosis causing causes loss of cells. And I remember that word, it's altruism. Oh, yes, okay. you're right. So altruism. So I feel like apoptosis is an example of altruistic behavior of yes. cells. They are dying for the betterment for of the everybody greater else. greater good. Exactly, exactly. Um, so if we don't have cells dying for the greater good, um, one example, if if you have 
too many, for example, neutrophils in your system, um, you can develop a type of leukemia if mm-hmm. those aren't cleared properly. And and these neutrophils, how why would they be increased in our body suddenly? So if you had, for example, an infection. That oh yeah, that's right. So if you have an infection, your there be an increased hematopoiesis. and after they're done with their job they would be they would all go through apoptosis exactly was that your dog yes that's my dog <laughs> in my multi million dollar apartment okay all right <laughs> we'll we'll pretend <laughs> so um this also helps keep the number of progenitors in control because when growth factors are removed from the system then the progenitors will also undergo apoptosis okay Um so then the expression of certain genes is also an important component of apoptosis. So some example uh some examples of this are the expression of FAS which mm-hmm. is a cell surface marker and can provide signals that will induce apoptosis. So when you say cell surface marker does that mean it's expressed and displayed on the surface of the membrane? Yes. Okay. Then Another example is the role of some proteases like caspases which are involved in the signaling cascade for involved in apoptosis. Oh yeah, caspases play the most crucial role in apoptosis. They 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 chop down proteins that are required for acting on their next on their next target and they start this cascade that eventually ends up with what we call apoptosis. And maybe in and some sometime in future we have we have a dedicated episode for apoptosis because that's how complicated this thing It's is. It's very complicated. Um so and I'm really boiling it down, but um another gene there's another gene that's involved in the inhibition of apoptosis. Mm-hmm. And this is called BCL2 and it was actually found when people were studying B cell lymphoma. It is just which is and like it's an overproduction of b cells so it's like a cancer it's like a cancer exactly okay, so it is a cancer it is a cancer <laughs> yeah it's it's not just like a cancer it is a cancer um and so that's where the signals for apoptosis are limited so there's a huge increase in the population of b cells in the body and it's very bad for your body and so you're telling me that this protein which is anti apoptotic The certain cancer cells can upregulate it so they escape apoptosis as far as i understand oh that's a, that's that's a very nice way to escape death yeah it's smart and, it's and, smart for them to and, use and it. that's how cancers work they try to try to they try to bypass these regular checkpoints that are that are yeah. made to keep normal cells in check right but these cancer cells they just found a way around it Exactly. And it's BCL2 or inhibiting apoptosis is not the only way that cancers mm-hmm. can get around these checkpoints. Oh yeah, cancers are fascinating. They are. Maybe we'll have an episode <laughs> for cancers too. Yeah, very likely, yes. Yes. Um so BCL2 levels in activated cells are much lower. Um so they have a higher risk of apoptosis than naive cells or memory cells, which makes sense because they're mo- more likely to cause a damaging response. Oh. And the activation blocks the apoptotic signal. so that when antigen levels decrease so do the levels of BCL2 so that the cells can undergo apoptosis and stop their response so this is a way to keep activated cells in check while keeping inactive cells 
but not harming the inactive cells exactly okay okay exactly. so it's it's like if you are so you are giving somebody a weapon but at the same time you're also giving him a suicide bomb yeah <laughs> yeah or like you're giving like his location to the enemy that, that's that's <laughs> that's that's a very bad thing to do yeah it's it's not good for your personal army but yeah. it's good for your body <laughs> yeah you want you want to have minimum collateral damage done by these activated immune cells after they're done clearing the infection exactly. so they must die yes so <laughs> once the antigen is gone they must die and they must um go through go peacefully <laughs> into that good night yes. they must go gentle into that good night and that'll be it for today's episode so we talked about hematopoiesis that's the birth of the cells and we talked about apoptosis which is the death, the death of, of the, of the cells cell. the full life cycle and everything that comes in between is way way more complicated <laughs> and that's the rest of the immunology in our next episode we're going to talk about different cell types that are that are derived from these hematopoietic stem cells and what is the special skill set of each of these cells yes um, that will be exciting that will and... be and, and we've got hey we've got a fan mail yes so i'll read um one of our emails from one of our fans <laughs> i'm so excited it's like just we just published two episodes and we have an email we yay. have fan mail yay and <laughs> So it says, hi, antibodies. I am loving the podcast and learning a lot in the process. Thanks for making immunology easier for me to understand and not as daunting as I thought it would be. I can't wait for your next episode. And that was Michelle from Ottawa. And mm. yeah, that, so. That's, I, feel, I feel so good that we are, we're making somebody's life easier. <laughs> exactly. And immunology can be really scary no, to get is, into. It, it was, I, I, I have no idea how I got interested in this thing because I, in retrospect, it's, <laughs> it looks so daunting. Yeah. I would like to thank my undergrad PI for helping me understand <laughs> this, but um, we are excited for the next episodes too. And please don't hesitate to email us at antibodies1 at gmail.com. Um, and get on our Facebook page and answer our trivia for the next episode. Yes, please do that. Yes, and uh, Jetin makes a lot of the beautiful memes that you see on Facebook, so please like them. <laughs> yeah, it takes <laughs> a lot of effort. Help his self-esteem. <laughs> yeah, so thank you guys. We'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Bye.